You've gone and done it again. Here's another episode of Songs You Should Know with Jimbo. And the Mixter. And this is episode seven, highlights from 1978. Yes. And we're coming to you from the Songs You Should Know World Headquarters, located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota. And from our satellite office, located almost in the open in Branson, Missouri, except there are so many attractions and so many distractions that you wouldn't know us if you saw us. So we can't tell you exactly where the world headquarters is located for security reasons, but we can tell you that you can see Lake Wobegon from here. Aha. Put that in Ah. your GPS. All right. Songs from 1978. Let's do the song, the sound bumps real quick. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about 1978. Yes, so there you have it. We have the collision of (laughs) punk, disco, rock, you name it. Uh, So we're going to, for the purpose of this show, focus on the Rolling Stones, Miss You, The Police with Roxanne, and The Bee Gees, Staying Alive. So tell me a little bit about uh, 1978, sir. I do like the collision of punk, disco, and rock, and that's exactly what we have for you. But 1978... You know, I mean, for us and for me, too, I mean, it was, you know, that, that's the formative years. So I remember 78 very well. I did not know that uh, January 15th for Super Bowl 12, that was the first nighttime Super Bowl. So Yes, it was. Uh, it also, you know, <laughs> it, it yeah. took them 12, 12 times before they put it on in prime time. Yeah. It said there's probably more people it's going to watch, more money, and look at it now. So also April 2nd saw the... the uh, the launching of the CBS soap opera Dallas, which we all remember. Right. Uh, and then April 3rd was the 50th Academy Awards uh, are held with Annie Hall uh, winning the Best Picture. Yes, the... the <laughs> I love I love the uh, interaction between Woody Allen and, and uh, um, <sighs> Diane Keaton in that movie. Oh, yes. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, and of course, you know, of of in, of interest music-wise, the Blues Brothers make their first appearance on Saturday Night Live. Here we go. Stars born. Right. And Grease is released, <laughs> the, the movie, starring 24-year-old New Jersey-born actor John Travolta, who also, by the way, happens to be in Saturday Night Fever right. the same year. So it was a big year same for Travolta. Wow. And then... Uh, <laughs> And do you remember, I remember we were living uh, on Grand Forks Air Force Base. I remember going to see Greece. Oh, yeah, I do too. Yep. Well, when you live on an Air Force Base, I'll tell you what, when you can go to a movie for, I don't know, a quarter or 50 cents, whatever it was. was, uh, Yeah, we pretty much went every weekend to movies. We did. Yep. So, yeah, and Olivia Newton-John, who uh, I, ha- I have to admit I had a crush on at that time. You know? Olivia Neutron Bomb. <sighs> <laughs> and uh, even though it's the first appearance of the Blues Brothers, it was also the year that National Lampoon's Animal House came out. So, you know, pretty big year for Belushi, too. Or, you know, it would, would lead to uh, the Blues Brothers movie after this, but... Um, and then, um, of, of possible interest to, to listeners, this was the year that President Jimmy Carter signed a bill into law, which allowed the home brewing of beer in the United States. I didn't know that. And I mean, look so, at all the microbrews now. I mean, so. Oh, microbrews you know. and everybody at home. And, and there are there are shops where you go in and get your hops, you know, to, to brew your beer up. So it's also the year that people drank Kool-Aid. Um, (laughs) it was the, in November was the mass murder suicide of 909 Americans in Jonestown, Guyana. 
under Jim Jones. Yeah. Jim so, Jones. Yeah. And I threw this last one in there. December 4th. Diane Feinstein succeeds the murdered George Moscone. So if you ever saw um, the movie Milk with Sean Penn. Oh, uh, yep. Um, so, yeah. So Harvey Milk and, uh, and George Moscone were, were murdered by, uh, boy, the guy's last name was White, I think, but he was a disgruntled city employee. But they were murdered in San Francisco, and then uh, Diane Feinstein succeeded, and she became California's first woman mayor. And I bring this up because... If you watch politics at all nowadays and you see any of these hearings going on, especially when they were, uh, you know, interviewing people for the Supreme Court and and, uh, now they're doing hearings for various things, you'll see Feinstein now as a U.S. senator um, on the telly quite a bit asking questions and being very serious. So, yes, it all started in 1978 for her as California's first woman mayor. And today she is a long serving U.S. senator from California. And with that, we're going to talk about I've been hanging out so long. I've been sleeping all the- I, I love the dual guitar and harmonica you yep. know sugar blue and i'm not even sure who's doing the guitar riff there if that's keith or ronnie but uh yeah. Yeah. and this is this is the first album that ronnie wood is actually billed as a member of the rolling stones believe it or not full-time member uh, yep <laughs> yep member me meaning that uh if anybody mentions the band or they do f- promo shoots or the money is divvied up among band members he he is a full full-fledged full- member Full-fledged member of the band, so, so yes, and he's still the new guy even today. So, 1978 is when the new guy joined. That's right. But uh, and then Keith Richards was having issues. He had, he had a little issue his, in one, Canada. <laughs> one of his quotes. Well, he had more issues he, than that. I asked him if he had issues with drugs, and he says, "I, I have, I have no problem with drugs. I have a problem with policemen." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So Jagger really had to take leadership on pulling this album together, but uh, because Keith was going through a lot of legal issues, and of course there there was a time where they thought maybe Keith was going to be going to jail for a long time. Yeah. So Canada was going to keep him. Yeah. Now, what I didn't realize about uh, about Miss You is that really this was written uh, the the original idea and riff was uh, Mick Jagger and Billy Preston jamming. Wow. So when when they were rehearsing for the like the Elmo Cambo Club gigs, which we've mentioned in another episode, but um, they were they were rehearsing for those gigs at the Elmo for the Elmo Cambo in Canada, which is around the time Keith's latest round of problems started. Um, so and and those recordings appear on the album Love You Live, but uh, um, the the. The the bass part that Bill Wyman ends up playing was really keyed off of Billy Preston's keys. I mean, that from the original demo, which Billy Preston doesn't play on the single or on the album, but was an instrumental in actually helping put together what ended up becoming a very disco rock cross. Um, Keith Richards has a credit on there because, um, like Lennon McCartney, Anything that either one of them, you know, had a writing hand in, both of them got credit for. They were a publishing yep. team. So um, the Glimmer the Twins, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> it, that's it. They were always together. Um, and this album, <laughs> this uh, song has an interesting history in that it came out in many different versions, many different lengths. So the the seven inch single, if you pick that up, that's three and a, well three thirty five. It's a little over three and a half minutes long. On the LP, on some girls, it's four minutes and forty eight seconds. And yes, kids, there were still eight track tape players back then. So on eight track, it was five minutes and forty one seconds. And the twelve inch disco mix for the clubs. You know, so that you could play a longer extended uh, extended mix was eight minutes and thirty six seconds, and then there is a rarity CD where it's seven minutes and thirty six seconds. So you've got um, 
you know, five different lengths at least, <laughs> you know, before you, before you go into uh, a couple of live versions and other things I know that have appeared on, you know, actual releases. So um, tell me about the musicians. So, of course, we have the Stones. So we have Mick Jagger, which is a... Uh, uh, Lee singing. He actually did play guitar on this, and he he. Did it was a it was, it was a revolution. It was a, a um, it was revelatory to me that Mick Jagger played guitar at the yeah. time. I remember him, I remember going cool. Jagger with a guitar. Yeah, made him. I cool. thought I thought I thought maybe he was like Elvis and he didn't really play. You know, <laughs> no, but no, played. Mick actually Mick, <laughs> Mick actually plays guitar. Yeah, and then we have Keith on guitar and backing vocals, and we have the the new guy Ronnie Wood on guitar and. Uh, credited with vocals. <laughs> I'm not really sure what that means, but uh, good old Bill Wyman on bass guitar and Charlie Watts on drums. And I do remember uh, after this was released, you know, they talked to Charlie and um, because if you, you know, people were saying that the Stones were going disco and, and, and he said, you Americans want to call anything that has four on the floor disco. <laughs> Right, you got four bass beats in you know in a bar, and then that's disco. Right. So, so <laughs> and then we also have, uh, you know, the some of the well, I, maybe only one of the regular uh, session men. In In McLagan was playing an electric piano. Mel Collins played saxophone, and Sugar Blue on harmonica. And I, I do want to take some time to I have a little Sugar Blue story. <clears throat> so we'll we'll start with. When they were going to the studio, apparently there was this cat, ha- you know, hanging out <laughs> outside. Cat. Not a cat, but I mean, the, the cat being sugar blue. <laughs> so, oh, a so, cat, so this, cat this cat. Yeah, so this cat, man, this cat. So there's this guy hanging out and he's playing harmonica. And so they uh, they brought him in and and they just loved his playing. And so we'll, we'll uh, fast forward to... I'm going to say 96 or 97, it was, I think it was, it was the first Fargo Blues Fest that was held at the outdoor baseball stadium. <clears throat> and so I, I had the pleasure to, uh, Sugar Blue was actually one of the, one of the headliners, not he- or co-headliners, I guess. And he had an awesome band and he was, uh, uh, he was a mess, <laughs> but, but it was just, <laughs> it was just cool to be able to stand next to him. And, you know, here, here's a guy that was basically probably living on the streets and stuff. And, and, uh, so he, uh, parlayed that into his moment. Parlayed that into a, a career. He had a kicking band and he actually, um, another connection here. He actually played right before John Mayhall in the blues breakers, which oh, has wow. the, the, you know, the stones. That's where, um, Mick Taylor came from. Sure. Yeah, I, I really loved the sound of uh, Sugar Blue's harp, which yep. to me Different. is very identifiable, you know. And, and anytime you can take an instrument that a lot of people play, but you make it your own. It's like John Popper has his own, right. you know, harmonica sound. Well, Sugar Blue was very identifiable. You could you could pick him out of a lineup, you know. Absolutely. So that this song became... The final number one hit that the Rolling Stones had in the United States. So wow. here we are, nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> almost you know, forty years ago. <laughs> almost forty years ago was the last time the Rolling Stones hit number one. It's not the last big hit they had because I mean we still haven't had uh, "Start Me Up" or yeah, anything. Tattoo, tattoo you come out. yeah, you know. So there, there were still other hits to come, but uh, this was the last time they actually hit number one, and. It, and it hit in August. It, it finally hit the top of the charts. And there's nothing like a summertime, or there was nothing like a summertime with a hot stone single. You know, it, it seems like uh, their best music was meant for the summer heat. I mean, I remember Brown Sugar was a summer single. You know? Right. And Start Me Up was a summer single. Um, so, yeah. And they actually, <laughs> they got to number one by kicking Andy Gibb off <laughs> with Shadow Dancing, which... Wow. <laughs> At the time I thought was very just and right. Yes. So <laughs> mm-hmm. and British artists, they it only reached number three in the UK. So number one in the US, number weird? three in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were a lot of people that thought um, you know, at the time Mick Jagger was married to Bianca. Very beautiful Bianca Jagger. Bianca. And their relationship was deteriorating, deteriorating. And um, <laughs> it 
And so they thought, you know, Miss You was kind of about uh, that relationship going downhill. But Jagger says, nah, um, Miss You is an emotion. It's not really about a girl. So to me, the feeling of longing is what the song is. I went for it. I threw an impression in and everything. I know. But yeah. <laughs> And then also, tell, tell me about the influence here, unless you've got something else. No, 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 we got, well, we'll, we'll go in, in, into that because so like when you're a Rolling Stone, people are watching what you're doing. So, you know, that gave encouragement to other rock artists to, you know, go disco in quotes. And of course, including Rod Stewart, whose big hit was, do you think I'm sexy? Which is, I dig that song too. Yeah. And Rod, you know, the Stones sort of played around with disco, but they never, you know, wanted to fully embrace it. It was and their disco was like, yeah, it is and it isn't. And they, of course, yeah. the rest of that album, the rest of the Some Girls album, <laughs> parts of it are, I mean, OK, it, it goes from punk to uh, to, to country. The country. Yeah. And uh, so um, one of the covers that that is more recent here, like in, in 2000, was Etta James. So blues legend Etta James covers Miss You, which was unusual because it was usually the Rolling Stones covering blues artists. Right. And here we have, you know, uh, just a blues icon covering um, Miss You. I heard that for the first time. I was really digging that. I thought that was that was cool. That's Etta James. So if you love the blues, go look up uh, Matriarch of the Blues. It's a 2000 album from Etta. But if that's any indication, that's that's a killer, a killer cover right wow. there. Yeah, that's the first time I heard that. And then, of course, the uh, little bit of trivia. I'm going to throw some other trivia in there, too, about this song. Well, let's just do this. So that... <laughs> <laughs> the same day they recorded this track, they also came up with the idea for Start Me Up. So it, it kind of spawned that. Which wasn't a rock and roll song. No, no. No. And then uh, here's some other trivia. Here's the cool thing about telling stories. There's always three sides. My side, your side, and the truth. So here's how I remember it. this went down. I was a huge Kiss fan. <laughs> and you were a huge Rolling Stones fan. So in 1978, when Some Girls came out, which uh, Miss You was on, <clears throat> my dear brother Jim, for Christmas, bought me the Some Girls album because he wanted it. <laughs> That's how I remember. No, I, I wanted to um, broaden your horizons. <laughs> and you wanted the album. <laughs> and of course, I would have access to the album, we only right. had one. And now we'll make this. Us. Yes, and now, <laughs> and now we'll make this quick because we're this, this episode's about miss you. But on the Some Girls album, because it was the first, uh, it was the first printing of that. The Stones <clears throat> didn't ask for permission, and they put the Stones' faces in other people's uh, pictures, and it was later uh, well, revoked. They, they... And so we have the original. We have the original pressing. Yes, yes, a copy with you. And and so they had little cutouts on there and when you when you slid the sleeve out, you know, slid the record out, the faces would move because the faces that went inside all of these it was like a beauty catalog. There you go. And uh the faces that were inside the heads were actually famous people like Lucille Ball, I remember it was one of them. Marilyn Monroe, and I remember Marilyn putting Monroe, Charlie yep. Watts' face on Marilyn Monroe's hairdo and it was exquisite. <laughs> So yes, you could slide this thing out, and uh, and then <laughs> then of course they got in trouble because they hadn't hadn't sought any permission for any of this. Yeah, what? And, uh, and the, the cover sorry. was changed, and and eventually uh, eventually there was no you know if you go buy it now, it's not a cutout version. You right. know there there aren't the cutouts on the on the album cover. So, um, but yes, we were lucky enough to. Um, you were lucky enough to have a brother that gave you a first <laughs> right. edition of Some Girls. First edition. So, 
Now, do you know what the flip side of some of uh, some girls was? I mean, of not some girls. Oh. The flip side of Miss You was Miss You. Wow, because you know I never bought the single. Uh, well, give me a hint. Is I actually do. Is I actually off, do have the single. Is it off of Some Girls? Is, is it another tune off Some Girls? Yes, it, it is from Some Girls, and it is. So is it far away? Eyes? It, it, it is far away eyes. So what I loved about the single was that one side is this disco rock thing, and the other side is their country stuff. Early Sunday morning through Bakersfield, listening to gospel music on the colored radio station. And the preacher said, you know, y'all always have the Lord by your side. Well... I was so pleased to be informed of this that I ran 20 red lights in his own. <laughs> now, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, do you know who supposedly taught the Stones to play country? I had an arrangement to meet a Well, man, uh, I'm going to guess. See, I thought it was somebody like Ry Cooter or something, but... No, it was uh, Graham Parsons. Graham, see? Yep, yep. So uh, around the time he was, was a flying burrito brother. Yep. And uh, Keith hung out with him a lot. And that's where Keith really picked up on the whole country vibe and probably led that into uh, to, to Mick. And Ronnie Wood plays pedal steel on this uh, yes. on this album. So, and plays it quite well, by the way, yeah. so Very well, he... So if you're down on your luck. Yeah, I better better fade it out there, otherwise we'll end up playing the yeah, whole song. Yeah, the whole thing. But I, you know, especially as a kid, I thought that was hilarious. You know that whole that whole pseudo Southern and you uh, working in you know a very uh, conservative country area there. <laughs> I don't think the Stones could get away with doing it in Branson. <laughs> no, but. Uh... For all those of, of you that are going to visit the Starlight, you you might find that as you uh, if you come attend the show, I might put that in my pre-show music and I'm tearing because <laughs> I can't. All right, all right, and with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. And that's uh, the police, of course, with Roxanne. And, you know, the police, before this album came out, were traveling the U.S. in a rented van. Yes. All, all together. I'm glad you brought and, that uh, up. Because do you, know, do, do, do you know how I found that out? There were some, and I, of course I'll get it wrong, but so I was 12, but there was a Saturday morning, you know, kind of kid's show, I mean, and... I remember watching the episode where it had the police in the van hauling their gear around the United States. Oh, yeah. Or CBS Sunday Morning. Was, Maybe it was CBS Sunday Morning or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, and their first two albums had gone nowhere. And while the police weren't punk per se, they sort of rose out of the punk ethos, you know, of... of um, not being not very commercial initially at all. And uh, so Sting put together this idea for this song, which, you know, he, he initially just kind of dismissed and, and didn't think too much of, but uh, which Stuart Copeland, the drummer, really, really liked and, uh, and really encouraged him to, to do something with it. And their producer, who was very punk, 
and who they figured this was no way going to be anything he liked. He listened to it and he heard a hit there. He heard something that could could break through for him. Right. So, so here we have um, three minutes and twelve seconds of of a very very interesting thing. And you know, Sting is the bass player, and the bass on this comes in at really weird spots. And uh, um, Stuart Copeland really had to coach Sting on where to hit those offbeat <laughs> bass notes. And, and, of course, now Sting has been playing this at every gig he does for forever, so it's second nature. Forty years. But, uh, at, first, <laughs> at first it was like, wow, that's kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, so, <laughs> so tell them how this song was inspired. Well, of course, if, you know, we all love the song, I love it, and I was 12 years old, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. So it's inspired by the prostitutes he saw near the band Seedy Hotel in Paris, France. Uh, where the police were lodged in October 77 to perform at the Nashville Club. So the song's title comes from the name of the character in the play, uh, Nero. Uh, God, I know this, too. I practiced this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you want me to say it? Well, <laughs> being, the, being the ex-English teacher, I can I know, but let me try it. <laughs> All right. Dang it. It's Sanero. It's not. So go ahead and say it. Dang it. It's Dubergiac. <laughs> Cyrano de Bergerac. Is it Cyrano? Yes. Cyrano. Cyrano. Cyrano de Bergerac. Emphasis on the first syllable. Aha. And so, (laughs) it's... there, there was an old poster uh, which was hanging in the hotel foyer. And so, Roxanne is also the name of Alexander the Great's wife. So... Yes, and so, I forgot to mention when we were talking about Miss You that the Stones recorded at the time in, in France... So the Some Girls right. album is actually recorded recorded in France because they were tax exiles from from England. So they were living in France, and and so there was a period of time where most of the things they recorded were were actually done at studios in France or at Nelcott uh, right. Keith's rented mansion there. Um, and here we have our second song of of the show that, even though it wasn't recorded in France, it was actually inspired by and and initially um, written in France. So we have a French connection going on here. And this single was released in April of 78 on their album Outlandos d'Amour, which I know I still have a copy of around here somewhere too. Yes. Um, and it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a hit right away, and I think it later did better in the U.S. And that We'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, it was written by Sting, but the musicians were... That's That's my cue. I know. Sting on bass lead vocals, backing vocals, and he played piano on there, which I guess I didn't know. Andy Summers. And the first first part of piano you hear is is his butt. That's right. (laughs) I'll tell you you about that in a second. (laughs) Andy Summers, of course, guitar, backing vocals, and Stuart Copeland on drums and and backing vocals. Uh, It didn't didn't chart... uh, upon initial 1978 release in the UK. So it didn't even hit the chart in the UK when it first... Uh, in in the US, it entered the Billboard Hot 100 in February of 79, so it still took a while to get, get it going. It peaked at number 32 in April. On the re-release in the UK in 79, it peaked at number 12, and then on, uh, on the UK single chart. Uh, the song is ranked... 388, number 388 on the Rolling Stones' top 500 greatest songs of all times. Right. And of course, lyrically, we, we alluded to the fact that it's written from the point of view of a man who falls in love with a prostitute. You don't have to turn on the red light, put on the red light. Yeah. Um, you know, I there were some other remixes of this, and Sting did one with... Um, um, I don't know what, which moniker he was using at the time, but uh, Puff Daddy. Oh. Um, yeah, they, they did a, a, a remix a number of years later, and, and uh, Sting has continued to, to perform this song, um, like I said, at probably every show he's done. I think it would be hard for him to get away without doing Roxanne just for fun. But uh, right. So we're talking about the piano. So at the very beginning, and I'll play this bit again here, and you can listen to it. The very Sting's mic was on for doing his vocals, and he he went to sit down against a a, a piano, and he thought the the lid was closed over the the, the keys, 
But it wasn't. So he sits down and it makes this chord and then he laughs. And they kept that in there and they mixed it into the beginning of the track. So I'll play, I'll play the beginning again. You can listen for it. <laughs> it's, it's a little subtle, but you can hear the bring. Yeah. And, he goes, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then he laughs. So, yes. And then, uh, of course, Eddie Murphy... Famous <laughs> sings a very op- opening. Yeah, yeah. Opening. An opening <laughs> so of the movie, it, beginning of the movie. Right. Yeah. So uh Eddie Murphy's in jail in, in the in the movie Forty Eight Hours, if you remember that. But uh and he, he sits down in this jail cell and he puts on his 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 uh his Walkman, his his cassette player. And uh <laughs> <He's walking. laughs> you don't have to put on a red <laughs> that was probably done in one take, I bet. <laughs> I saw that one in the theaters too, and that was just That's freaking right. hilarious. <laughs> and yes, and the, <laughs> there is a popular drinking game for those of you who in, imbibe. So the, the the idea is that men drink when the song says Roxanne, and women drink when it says Red Light. So apparently this must be hilarious if you're sitting around a table and and all the guys are tipping back when it says Roxanne. And uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back through, but I think there may be more red lights than there are <laughs> than there are Roxannes. Although the chorus is Roxanne and then red light, put it Roxanne, put it on the red light. I don't know. They go back and forth. Then I think it would be a choreographed kind of thing. I think we're going to have to have somebody count that. So any of you listeners out there, you want to count that, get back to us. We'd be much appreciated. Exactly. We'd, somebody who's willing to do the research, somebody younger yeah, than us. Right. We'd give, you, <laughs> we'd give you a free T-shirt, but guess what? We don't have any free T-shirts today. <laughs> we should make T-shirts. We yeah. will. We will. Patience, right. people. Patience. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break once more and come back again with uh, one of the biggest hits of the year. thinking at the time there was something ironic about a guy talking about being a woman's man and singing in a falsetto yeah i got no time to talk you, know? you can't talk in falsetto anyway people would make fun of you shut up you shut up but then again you know I, I i couldn't really diss him too much for doing all the falsetto when the stones came out with miss you and there's mick falsettoing most of the way through you know the chorus right. and everything so <laughs> so this was part of the the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, you know, the the huge movie. And part of the reason that this song, you know, really hit was that it's played over the opening credits when John Travolta is just doing his strut down the streets of New York yeah. and cutting through here and there. You know, and that that uh I don't remember seeing the movie in the theater, I don't believe, but you know, I've, I've seen parts of the movie, but that is what sticks in my mind. Of course, and, and so, I mean, you know, how brilliant is the opening credits. And every time I hear the song, all I see is John Travolta in that white suit <laughs> walking down the street. Yeah. Strutting down the street, I guess. Well, I don't, he wasn't in a white suit then. Yeah. It was when, he, when he dances, he's, he's in the white suit. Or maybe he was. Well, maybe he was. Okay. Another little I thing. Yep. <laughs> you know, you can tell that we really research this show, kids, because we're all we, about we it. Don't we cover, actually we don't, do. We do, but we don't cover all contingencies, especially when you just throw something out there like that's that. Right. But that's what makes it fun. So Robert Stigwood, um, 
uh, asked them to write a few numbers, okay? So he's got this idea for a movie about disco, which is really popular at the time. It's really a big, you know, scene in the clubs. And he's like, now would be the time to do a movie about this whole thing. And so he asked the Bee Gees to come up with some songs for this this thing. And the Bee Gees were famous, had been around for a long time, um, doing nothing that sounded anything like what came out on Saturday Night Fever. Um, and they ended up putting five songs on the soundtrack, and and the songs were written by the three of them together, Barry, Robin, and Maurice, uh, and it was written, this song was written over the course of a few days while sprawled on the staircase at the Chateau de Hiroville studio in Paris. Wow. And so here, if you notice a, a trend here, the Stones recorded in France, the police wrote got their inspiration and wrote the song in France. Mm-hmm. And here we have another song being written in France. And actually, yes, they recorded their uh, Saturday Night Fever songs in France. Right. And, and, so we, we have, and we know with the Stones, I don't know about the police, <clears throat> but because in good old USA, for tax purposes, <laughs> everybody fled, mm-hmm. to, fled to Paris, France <laughs> to go record. Well, especially the... Uh, the, the English artists did, you know, because the, the right, tax the bracket artists. for the tax, they, they, they had to give up the majority of their income, actually. Um, you know, it, when you when the, you got into the, the stratosphere where you were making money like they were, um, the police were not in that that in that position. They, they were they were in they were in Paris because they had a gig <laughs> at a club. <laughs> these other guys are there because right. we can't really afford to live anywhere else and keep our money. So. That's right. Yeah, the van didn't make it to the Paris gig, I don't think. But no, no, that was not part of the part of the thing. Um, and if you listen, I'm going to play at the beginning again, and just for a second, I want you to listen to the drum track. Now, if you listen all the way through the song, that drum track never varies. It is exactly the same all the way through. And (laughs) their backing drummer's mother passed away as they were doing the sessions for the song. And he had to leave. And they looked around for a replacement drummer. And they couldn't find any qualified drummers in the area of France where they were. And they tried a, a drum machine. And it it just sounded too mechanical. And so they went back to Night Fever, which was a song they had already completed. And they selected two bars out of that track. And they actually cut the tape for those two bars. They looped it. And they rigged up a thing going around a mic stand and back around the reel of the recorder. So they could just play this, or uh, the, the recorder, but in playback mode. And they rigged this thing up so it would just loop around and around and around. And so here you have one of the first examples of looping or of sampling. So they took a sample of one of their own songs, looped that sample, and that is the drum track for Staying Alive. And so even though it never varies, it doesn't sound mechanical because it's a real guy playing it, you know, with the with the swing of a real with a of a real drummer. Right. And so then they went on with the session for staying alive. And even when their drummer came back and they went to lay in another drum track, they, they, they got to where they couldn't actually recreate the sound of the loop going on <laughs> with the same guy. And so they kept the loop. And we'll talk a little bit more about this particular loop because it comes back again to haunt them. But um, So they listed the drummer on the track as Bernard Lupe. <laughs> and Mr. Lupe, they got a lot of the record company got a lot of inquiries for uh, for uh, Bernard Lupe until it was discovered that he didn't exist. He was pretty steady, wasn't he? <laughs> we need him. <laughs> Four minutes and forty five seconds. His song clocks in at. But uh, yeah, well, talk about the uh, musicians. Besides, Mr. besides Bernard Lupe. Yeah, besides Mr. Lupe. <laughs> We had the Gibb brothers, so we had Barry Gibb, who, uh, who was the lead on this one, harmony and backing vocals, and he played rhythm guitar as well. 
Robin Gibb was harmony and backing vocals, and Maurice Gibb was harmony backing vocals. And Maurice, or I've heard from their brothers that they actually called him. I think it's pronounced Morris, but it's Morris. Um, oh, sure. So Morris played bass. And then I was um, speaking it the uh, the way it would be <laughs> produced in uh, uh, space cowboy language. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Kendall uh, played lead guitar, and then uh, which I did not know, Blue Weaver played keyboards and synth. Uh, Dennis Byron was on drums along with Lupe, and then uh, Joe Lala <clears throat> played percussion. And this song hit number one on Billboard's Hot 100 for four weeks, the second of six consecutive number ones that they would score. And I think they got four of those number ones from this album. Um, so four off of here, and I think their next album, they got they got two more. So, And Rolling Stone placed it at number 189 on the list of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, wow. which was most recently updated in 2010. So. Okay. I think that's the 2010 number, but uh, well, and then, then go ahead. It ranked number nine, which everybody knows the song. So it ranked number nine on AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs uh, survey, the top tens in American cinema. So for movies, sure. yeah, the AFI is the Amer- American Film Institute. Institute. So they put out a put out a list of hundred great songs from movies. This one came in at number nine, and. Talk about the lyrical meaning a little bit here. Uh, Robin recalls the subject matter of staying alive is actually quite serious one. It's about survival in the streets of New York. And the lyrics uh, actually say that, uh, say that. Barry Gibb also recalls that, you know, people crying out for help, uh, desperate songs. Those are the ones that, that become giants. The minute you capture that on record is gold. Staying alive is the epitome of that everybody struggles against the world fighting all, all the bullshit and things that can drag you down it's really a victory just to survive but when you climb back on top and when bigger than ever before well that's something everybody reacts to everybody sure and john travolta's character in the movie is a young man working a dead-end job feels alienated by his parents and so dancing is his form of expression, and weekends are his time to let loose. So Staying Alive, which became the title of the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Um, unfortunately, Staying Alive, the movie, came out at a time where disco had kind of passed. And so <laughs> that that movie wasn't nearly as successful. But uh, um, uh, it was obviously successful at the time of Saturday Night Fever, and... Uh, the whole idea of staying alive, especially coming at the beginning of the movie over the opening credits, really encapsulated, I thought, uh, you know, what what the movie was all about. And <laughs> I, I went down into the vaults and did some digging around. And very few people know that Tiny Tim um, is buried here in Minnesota. He 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 actually he actually collapsed. And, and passed away shortly thereafter playing a gig uh, in Minnesota. Mm. He was quite heavy at the time, suffered from diabetes and had all, all kinds of complications. And it was actually during Tiptoe to the, Through the Tulips that he collapsed um, and fell ill. Uh, he had collapsed at a show previously out someplace else. And then the doctor said, don't play anymore, but... Anyway, he came to Minnesota for this gig. He was born in New York City, but he passed away here, and he's actually buried here. He's in a mausoleum, I think, down in down in the Twin Cities. But he actually did a version of Staying Alive, and, and I'm going to play a little bit of this for you. And I learned something I didn't know about Tiny Tim. That's all right. (laughs) 
when when Tiny Tim is not singing in a falsetto, he sounded like Tom Jones. Exactly. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> I was like, really? And I had to go back and double check. That was actually Tiny Tim. I had to look up biographies of him and, and, and his uh, discographies. And it's like, oh, yeah, he performed for a lot longer into the 90s, you know, and than I had thought. And and I listened to that, and I thought, that's Tom Jones. No, that's Tiny Tim. So, <laughs> And I did come across one more cover for you that I'm going to surprise you with. You'll All know right. right away who it is. You may not know who, you may not know who the guitar player is, who, whose album this was actually supposed to be on. This singer was replaced in, because of contractual issues. They couldn't use this vocal. So they ended up using Donnie Osmond as the vocal. But my, you'll know who who the original singer was supposed to be right away. Um, the the question for you will be, whose album was this on? Who actually put right. this whole thing together? You ready? I'm ready. That's right. Ozzy. <laughs> Ozzy doing Staying Alive and taking it pretty seriously, too, with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, not... <laughs> and was replaced, because of contractual issues, was replaced by Donny Osmond on the actual album that was released. Wow. But my question for you, would: do you know whose album it would be? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even have Dweezil, a... Dweezil Zappa. Uh, that makes perfect sense now. <laughs> So Dweezil put together a kind of a tribute album, and that was the tribute to uh, to Staying Alive. But uh, yes, I listened to that and I thought, wow, I actually like that. That's that's cool. <laughs> so the, the, getting back to that looped drum beat, that whole idea of that piece of tape going round and round and round and round in the age before sampling, and uh, the quote is, "We chose a bar uh, of drum music." That, that felt so good that we ended up using the same loop on Staying Alive, which we've just heard, right. and More Than a Woman. So More Than, the, more than a Woman wow. has the same drum loop on it. And then again on Barbara Streisand's song, Woman in Love. So little piece of trivia there, that same, that same thing appears on three different songs. And over the years, the brothers have had mixed feelings about the song. Um, <laughs> On one hand, they admit that it brought them tremendous fame. On the other, it led to their being pigeonholed as a disco act, despite a long and varied career before and after. And uh, they they actually stated, we'd like to dress it up in a white suit and set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And George Martin said, you know, the great thing about Staying Alive is that it had a great guitar hook to start, which set up the theme that pulsating beat. And he talks about the disco beat of 120 beats per minute coinciding with the heartbeat of your heart when you're excited, right. which sounds good. But the, the actual, the actual song, when you measure it comes out at, at like 104 beats per minute. So it's not, it's not anywhere near 120. but as a result, um, <laughs> the, 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 the British heart foundation recommended that, for doing um, CPR that you, you do between 100 and 120 um, chest compressions, you know, per minute. And so one thing that some people who learn CPR learn how to do is sing Staying Alive to themselves while doing, while doing CPR. Yep. And they still, because uh, I believe I got recertified two years ago and they, at that time, they still use that. That's the- yeah, right. I think there's a, gosh, I meant to re- remember what the other song was that has about the same thing, but except the title of the song is, 
is uh, more about death, so they don't <laughs> use that one. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> and my last, my last piece of trivia before we go out to our last, to our final break and come back with some real trivia. Real trivia. There, there's a, there's an oxymoron for you with our real trivia. Um, the Bee Gees later learned that. Many porn movies were, were shot in the same studios where they recorded Staying Alive. So with that, we're going into break. All right. back with some trivia from songs the sounds of 1978 and i i picked a a set of questions here mick that are really really easy except for a couple that are impossible (laughs) that's the variety that's the spice of life isn't it (laughs) right so i'll give you one of the impossible ones first unless you really impress me because i didn't know this but all right and i'll give you multiple choice on the ones that aren't obvious okay okay all right. Can you recall who sang Dreadlock Holiday? It was either Meatloaf, 10CC, Kansas, or the Patti Smith Group. Wow. Not familiar with it, so let's go with Patti Smith. Uh, it was 10CC. Dang it. Who, uh, you know, I'm familiar with, I'm, familiar with uh, I'm Not in Love, which was from 1975, yeah. I think. But uh, they had the, their next album was Bloody Tourists, and this was this was a song from that album. This one here's one of the easy ones. Top ten hit in both the UK and the US. Sultans of Swing was recorded by whom? Dire Straits. There you go. Didn't even need choices for that. All right. Which uh, this one I'll, I'll give you extra fake points if you get it without the choices. Okay. You'll get it either way. Okay, uh, which, what song does this lyric come from? This was a number one song from the year. You can get yourself clean. You can have a good meal. At the YMCA. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you got extra extra credit there. I also got extra credit. I also got people like, how did, why does he know that? (laughs) Nobody knows that that's ever been on a dance floor. That's right. That's, that's, that's the defense I'm going with. You you (laughs) can't judge me for just spouting that out. Here's another one you may not need choices for. Can you name who sang Werewolves of London? I can. I got to think of it. He passed away. Yeah. Um, Oh, man, having one of those uh, senior moments, but I will think of it. So um, it's coming. I can see him. Warren Zavon. Whew. There. Oh, you pulled it out. There you go. All right. Now this one, hmm. I'm not sure that I knew this one. I, I, I figured it out after a bit, but the song Follow You, Follow Me was sung by whom? Do I get multiple choice on this one? Sure. I think I'll Meatloaf. Meatloaf, Genesis, Van Halen, or the Bee Gees? Genesis. Exactly. It comes from the album, And Then There Were Three. Ah. Can't Smile Without You reached the number three position in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and charted in the U.K. Who was the solo artist? 1978, Can't Smile Without You. I'm, I'm going to need... Can't smile without oh, you. Can't smile without you. I'm going to need the multiple choice, but I'll get it. Oh, Jerry Rafferty, Barry Manilow, Bruce Springsteen, or Jimmy Cliff? My uh, <clears throat> my my good buddy, Barry Manilow. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. And this one you'll know, too. Who, who sang Love is Like Oxygen? Oh, Yes. It was like lightning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having one of those dang brain things, but I will get it. Hold on. So it's uh, the sweet or sweet. The sweet. Yes. The the sweet. sweet. 
They they call them the sweet, but everybody else calls them sweet. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right. This one I would I don't know that I knew right away, but uh, can you recall who sang "Lovely Day"? Is this from 1978 as well? It is. I'm gonna need uh, multiple choice. I can tell this. Maybe this will give it to you. This this same artist sang "Ain't No Sunshine" oh. and "Lean Lean On Me." So. Well, the Lean On Me one, I think, is Ben E. King, but... Well, originally... Um, okay, so uh, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone, is that Otis Day? Or, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Otis, my man! <laughs> that movie came out the same year. It did. <laughs> Otis Redding. <laughs> you mind if we dance with your dates? We were just leaving. What a great idea. <laughs> Here's the choices: Bill Withers, Andy Gibb, Robert Palmer, or Joe Walsh. Okay, Bill Withers. Bill Withers. There we go. This one, <laughs> this one, I won't even ask the question. I'll just give you a song title, and you tell me who who sang it. <laughs> New York Groove. Oh, man after my own heart. Ace Space Ace Fraley, and do you know who played drums on that album? Anton Fig. Oh, Anton played yeah. on that. Yeah, that was from the year that Kiss came out with four individual solo albums, and that was the best song off of all four of them, was New York Groove. Yeah, it it probably just beat out Gene Simmons' Living in Sin at the Holiday Inn. Probably not by much. Oh, yeah, there was that, yeah. But New York Groove, you could actually see becoming, it actually probably charted and sold more. Right. That They printed so many copies of each of those four solo albums you could find those things in cutout bins for hey now and kids 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 if you're not sure what a cutout bin is if you ever come across records that have a little like a corner cut off or a little or a little, little punch, punch or right? yeah a little punch or a, a slice taken out of them somehow that that was actually purposely mechanically done those were albums that stores returned to the record company <laughs> they got their advance of albums. They stocked them. Nobody bought them. They sent them back. So cutouts <laughs> are usually cutouts for a reason. Right. They j- well, the reason is they didn't sell. So right. you can find lots of Kiss cutouts of these of these solo albums. Right. But because um, they over they overproduced. They overproduced them. That was the eight. Well, All the eighties. Right. Yep. <coughs> Here's the last one then. Wonderful tonight. Eric Clapton. Charted it. There we go. Eric Clapton. I didn't even have to ask the rest of the questions. So I do All have right. one trivia question for for you too. It might be kind oh, of oh so. no oh yeah that's not that's not part of the contract exactly. <laughs> All right, lay it on me. All right, it I I don't think it was 1978. It well first I'll. I'll give it to you without any clues. I don't think it was 1978. Do you know who wrote the uh, blockbuster hit Islands in the Stream that Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton made famous? Do you know who wrote the song? Who wrote it? Islands in the Stream. Um, Neil Sedaka. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) But now I'm going to... You get to reprieve yourself because if you miss this one... (laughs) It is one of the three artists we talked about today. Oh, really? Uh, then it would be Barry Gibb. So the Bee Gees, you are, yeah, so Barry Gibb is... Yeah. Yep, yep. He is... I did not know that. They are credited with that... They wrote that song. Well, and they, they worked a lot with Streisand, and if I would have really thought that through, I would have, I would have right. come up with that. Because, yeah. And we also pointed out the Streisand connection with the, the drum track right. earlier. So. Right, right. There we go. Dang. I was so close. <laughs> I was so close. <laughs> you get a half a point. You get a half a t-shirt. You get a crop. Well, all right. You get a crop top. <laughs> Woo. All right. Well, in the meantime, don't forget to go to songsyoushouldknow.com where you can uh, find links to this episode and others. And then a growing list of episodes, a pestilence right. creeping right. its way slowly across the earth. That's right. Across to, the internet. Yeah, go to <laughs> iTunes as well. We're on iTunes. And, of course, uh, always do what we do. Go to Wikipedia. Go to Song yes. Facts. Go to the entire <laughs> internet. As we have made abundantly clear, we don't, we don't really know 
Well, I mean, we know a lot of this, and a lot of it we don't know that we think we know. Um, but hey, Wikipedia, of course, and then I love song facts. We come across other sites all the time, you know, when you, especially, you know, artists that have that have uh, their own homepages often have a histor- history site, you know, a history page on the, on their on their site. And you can you can find out a lot, and that the the wonders of the interwebs await you. Yes. Until next time.